Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Last week, we started looking in John 17. And I described John 17 as the second most important prayer in the Bible. The first most important prayer, of course, you and I know as the Lord's Prayer. But John chapter 17, the whole chapter is really Jesus' final words over his followers before he's taken away and before he's crucified. And basically, the whole chapter is a prayer. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to see Jesus's prayer for you. And when people ask the question, last week Jesus said, Father, I've been here on earth. I've done the mission that you've given me to do. I'm going back to be with you in heaven. When people ask me the question, where is Jesus right now? That's an easy question to answer. He's in heaven. He's already said that. When people ask the follow-on question, what exactly is Jesus doing in heaven right now? That's a fascinating question. The easy question to answer is, where is he? The more interesting question is, what exactly is he doing right now? And I'll give you the answer in one short sentence. Here it is. Jesus is in heaven, and right now today, church, he is praying for you. And somebody in this room needs to say amen. Now, if this language on the screen confuses you a little bit because you're not exactly sure what that means, let me back up this statement with Bible verses before we even get into John chapter 17. Because Jesus is going to say a prayer today, a very bold prayer for his followers. And that means for me and you right now. But when I say that Jesus is praying, that comes directly out of Hebrews chapter 7. Listen to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him. And then here's what it says next. Since he always lives, here's the word prayer, to intercede for them. As an intermediary, Jesus is the only one that can stand between humans and our creator, between sinful people and a holy God. Human beings can't do it. Priests and pastors can't do it. Even the angels in heaven can't do it. But Jesus can stand in God's presence and make intercession or plead on our behalf to God. When I say Jesus is praying, that comes directly out of Romans or Hebrews chapter 7. When I say he's praying for you, that comes directly out of Romans chapter 8. When people start to criticize you, I want you to hang on to this verse today, church. Who is the one who can condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised, and he also is at the right hand of God, and here it is, he intercedes for who? You should say for me. He is interceding for me. Hebrews chapter 7 says Jesus is praying. Romans chapter 8 says he's praying for you, and when I say he's praying for you right now, this moment, that comes directly out of Hebrews chapter 9. 
For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands. Every church, every synagogue, every place of worship on the planet is a human, small version of the ultimate, eternal place of worship, which is in heaven. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might say the next word out loud. It's now, by the way, the next word, right, is now, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for me, for you, on your behalf. If someone were to ask you, where is Jesus right now? That's an easy question. He's in heaven. If they were to ask you, what is he doing? The answer is, he's praying right now for me and for you because he knows I need it. And he knows you need it. And today what you're going to hear from the Bible is exactly what he's praying for. Basically, when Jesus utters this bold prayer to his father on behalf of his followers, there's four things that he's going to ask God the Father for. And the first thing that he's going to ask God the Father for is your faithfulness. Now, faithfulness simply means following what you have been taught and Jesus is praying right now in heaven for your faithfulness. John chapter 17, verse 1, started with Jesus bowing his head and lifting up his hands and uttering this prayer. God, I have tried to live my life to glorify you, and now I'm going to go to my death, the ultimate symbol of glory. And God, now that I'm leaving them, I need to prepare my followers for what happens after I'm gone. And we're going to pick up right where we left off starting in verse 6 of chapter 17. And here's what Jesus says. I have revealed your name to the people that you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they may know that everything that you have given me is from you because I have given them the words you gave me. And they have received them. And have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. The word believed, I described it last week for you, is more than just an intellectual knowledge of a few facts. It's putting those facts into practice. It's faithfulness. And when Jesus is praying, he's praying for faithfulness. Jesus came to demonstrate what God was like. To people that were very, very confused. For many of them, God appeared so distant that he didn't care. Or for others, he appeared as the angry parent that only sees you when you do wrong and slaps you across the back of the head every time you mess up. And Jesus showed up to reveal, that's the word that he uses today, to reveal to people what God is really like and to remind them That he's not that angry parent waiting for you to mess up. He's not so distant that he's disconnected and he doesn't know or he doesn't care what you're going through. He's actually deeply involved in uh, in human affairs. And Jesus shows up and he starts to demonstrate what it's like to live a life of faithfulness. And just one chapter ago in the book of John, what Jesus said to us, was that you and I have no power on our own to live a life that is pure or to live a life that honors God except what comes 
from him. In fact, Jesus used this language, John chapter 16, of the vine and the branch language. And he said the branch can't do anything on its own, but only because of the vine. And without the vine, the branch is totally dead and completely helpless. And the language that he's using in John chapter 16 is about us. He is the vine. We are the branches. Without him, we have no power. But in him, we know his word. We understand his word. But here's what I want you to hear, church. You have the power through him, to put his words into practice this week. That power comes because of Jesus and only because of Jesus. And it comes because he's praying for you. And what he's praying is that you would be faithful to what you read in the Bible. You would be faithful to put that into practice. Our faithfulness is for God's glory because our faithfulness ultimately comes from him. And without him, you and I don't have the power to live a faithful or a pure life. And God gives us that power so that we could honor him. Look, when I use the word, or when Jesus uses the word believe, I'm gonna say it again. This is not simply understanding a set of intellectual facts. In fact, the book of James describes it this way. Even the demons understand intellectual facts about Jesus. They believe, they probably even believe better than you and I believe, but that's not the kind of belief that the Bible is describing here. It's behavior that goes along with beliefs. It's living those beliefs out in a very dark and a very difficult world. That's why at the beginning of this sermon, I read for you from John or from the book of Psalms, chapter 63, because David is alone and he's on the run and he's done nothing wrong and life is really, really hard for him right now. And David is saying, I'm going to hold on to my faith. I'm going to hold on to God's love. I am not going to quit and I'm not going to give in, but I've got no power to handle my circumstances all on my own. Without him, I'm hopeless. Without him, I'm helpless. And what I want you to hear is that God is intimately involved in what's going on in your world this week, even when it doesn't feel like it. God knows. God cares. And if you will turn to him instead of trusting in your own strength and your own abilities, he will give you the power to handle what you're facing this week. Because Jesus is sitting at his right hand and he's praying for you right now as you go through difficulties and struggles. He's not only praying for your faithfulness, but I want you to see on the screen, he's also praying for your effectiveness. And this is his people at work in the world. What he says next is, I'm about to leave, and you guys are not going to be on your own, but I'm going to leave you here, and I'm going back to heaven, and I've got a mission for you, and I expect you to be busy on this mission. I expect you to be effective with this mission. John chapter 17, starting in verse 9. I pray for them. And who is the them that he's referring to here? I need to point out, this isn't just Peter and Paul, or this isn't Peter and James and John. This is more than just Martha and Mary Magdalene. He's praying for all of his followers for all time. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. 
This is a very specific prayer. And by the way, this is Jesus' answer to those idiots out there that make the statement that all roads lead to heaven and it doesn't matter what you believe. No, that's not at all the case. In fact, that's not what Jesus is saying right here. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours. And everything you have is mine. Do you see the relationship between the Father and the Son right here? I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. The kind of relationship that God wants us to have with each other is the kind of relationship that he has with his son. Protect them by the name that you have given, given me so that they may be one as we are one. And while I was with them, I was protecting them by the name that you had given me. I guarded them. And not one of them is lost except the son of destruction. Say out loud, Judas Iscariot. That's who this is referring to. Except the son of destruction so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When Jesus is praying, he's praying that you would be part of two cities. When we started this church, we launched it with the name Two Cities on Purpose. That name comes from a book that was written a few hundred years after Jesus died by the great father of the faith, St. Augustine. And Augustine was describing what it looks like to be a Christian and to live in this world. And here's what Augustine was saying. I think he was thinking directly of John chapter 17 when Augustine wrote the book, The City of God, and he said, you and I belong to the heavenly city. That's our first, that's our most important city, but we live here in this earthly city. And while we're here on this earthly city, we have a mission to do. And what Augustine is challenging us to do, what Jesus is challenging us to do today is to be good citizens of a heavenly city and an earthly city at the same time. In fact, Jesus is saying, listen, Father, I'm going back to heaven, and I'm going back to being with you. But they are going to remain here. And if you've ever wondered, what did Jesus save me from? That answer is really easy. He saved you from sin. Ultimately, what he did is he saved you from yourself. But if you've stopped to ask the question, what did he save me for? Why did Jesus save me? That question is equally easy to answer. He saved you for a reason. To bring God glory by simply continuing to do here on earth what Jesus did while he was on earth until he calls us to be home with him in heaven. And what Jesus is asking us to do is to be faithful while we're here. And he uses the language more than once in this passage about the name that he's given us. Now, you know, name desire or name describes authority and it describes ownership. In other words, I have a dog. I have the authority to name my dog. A parent names their child. Even a baby or a child has the ability to give names to their toys. But the names that Jesus is using today don't just describe authority, it also demonstrates for us who we belong to. The name is supposed to protect us and it's also supposed to guide us. And that name 
right after Jesus left was the word Christian. Christian means like Christ or little Christ. And when people used that word initially, it was meant to be disparaging. It was supposed to be an insult to these little Christs that walked around acting like their master and trying to follow in his footsteps. They didn't have to wear a cross necklace or put a fish bumper sticker on their vehicle because where they went, people noticed that there was something about them. But they also believed that that name was their mission and that name protected them. Wherever they went, whatever they were going through, they could refer back to, I am a follower of Christ. I belong to him and he is mine and I am his and he has made me one with the Father. The words that you just sung. And God has left his people here on planet Earth. Listen, he could have snatched you off of earth the moment that he changed your soul, but he didn't. He left you here on planet earth to make a difference. Last week, very briefly, I mentioned two uh, things that are true at the same time in the Bible, and sometimes they can confuse us. I'll be honest, sometimes I get confused about it. It is God's election, and it is our responsibility of evangelism. And what I said last week is that these two things are both biblical and both true at the same time, that God has called me by my name, and he's called me out of my sin and into his family. And election without evangelism starts to make God responsible for a human being's unbelief. God not only saved me from myself, but he saved me for something, and that's something that he saved me for. It's to make his name known all over the globe. Not just me, but every one of his followers. And this is why we all have been given a responsibility to tell others about our faith. Evangelism without election makes humans receive the glory every time somebody's soul is changed. And what we believe as Christians is that God wants us to be effective, and he's left us here on planet Earth to make an impact. And it's not supposed to be miserable. It's not just supposed to be a duty that you despise, but you do it because you know you're supposed to. He actually wants us to enjoy or to rejoice at the uh, mission that he's given us. You see, Jesus is praying right now for your joy. Verse 13, I am now coming to you. This is the son talking to the father. I speak these things in the world so that they, my followers, may have my joy. Be very, very careful with the personal pronoun right here. In fact, just humor me and say, my joy. I speak these things so that they may have my joy uh, so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The moment that Jesus changed your soul was the moment that your destiny was changed, but it was also the moment that your identity changed. 
You no longer belong here. It's all very temporary. And while you're here, he wants you to make an impact. But while you're here, he also wants you to rejoice in this mission and the relationship that he's given you. Now, I want you to think about this for just a second. Anybody in this room ever met one of those guys kind of like Joe Dirt from the movie Joe Dirt? No matter what happens to them, they can't, you can't get them down. They never get discouraged. They never throw in the towel. They're one of those people that kind of figure out a way to handle circumstances no matter how bad it is. And when people see folks like that, I think they come away with like one of three uh, opinions. Like, this guy is an idiot and doesn't really realize what's happening around him because if he realized, he would not have that kind of joy. Or maybe they think this guy's crazy and his mind isn't straight because anybody in their natural mind, when they go through the kind of circumstances that Joe Dirt goes through, would be miserable and hate it. But most people don't realize maybe there's a third option here. Maybe they are not an idiot. Maybe they're not crazy. Maybe they actually know something that the rest of us don't know. Maybe they know that this, what we see around us, isn't all that there is. In fact, Jesus, the Bible describes, found joy in doing the Father's will. He enjoyed or rejoiced in doing the Father's will to the point that he found joy even enduring the cross. And what Jesus is saying today is that the people around you, because they don't share the relationship with the Father that you have, they're going to misunderstand you. Some of them are going to criticize you. Others of them, the language that he used today, will hate you because of your relationship with the Father. And when that happens, don't get discouraged. In fact, when that happens, it may mean that you have your focus where it should be. Instead of on here, you have your focus on heaven. What it may describe is that you really are trying to be a good citizen of two cities at the same time, the here city and the heavenly city. And what people say about me here doesn't matter because what the Father in heaven thinks about me, that's all that matters to me. So I can get up tomorrow and I can face whatever the world throws at me and not get discouraged, not get thrown off track. See, the fourth and the final thing is that Jesus is praying for your holiness. Now, what he's actually going to do is he's going to use a word, a Bible word here that may confuse some of you. It's the word sanctify or sanctification. That big, long word that makes a lot of points in the game Scrabble, it's one coin with two sides. One side of the coin is faithfulness, what we talked about a moment ago. And the other side of the coin is holiness. And at the moment that Jesus changed you, he made you holy. He set you apart and made you different and distinct and made you uh, set apart for God's service. That's what the word holy means. But it started the moment Jesus saved you. It didn't stop there. It actually continues for a lifetime. And that sanctification starts with holiness and ends up being a walk with Jesus, a walk of faithfulness that lasts for a lifetime. Here's what I'm saying, church. There is this instantaneous sanctification that happens the moment that Jesus radically changes you. 
And then there's this ongoing sanctification of you and I getting up tomorrow and making the decision to walk with Jesus and to trust him and to not trust our own instincts, our own abilities, to follow him instead of following our own heart and let him set the agenda. That's what holiness, that's what faithfulness looks like when Jesus uses the word sanctify. John chapter 17, sanctify them, Father, by the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me, here it is, as clear as anywhere in the Bible, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I have to pause for just a second because what he's saying is, to the same degree that you sent me, Father, what it cost me, it might cost them. At, to the same degree that you sent me, I'm sending them. In the same way that you sent me, Father, I'm sending them. And for the same mission or for the same reason that you sent me, I'm now sending them. Because I'm leaving and I'm going back to you. And I'm sending them just like you sent me. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And the truth here is a person. It's the word that was with God in the beginning. And John tells us the word is God. In fact, in chapter 14, John says it this way. Jesus describes himself as the way, the what? The truth and the life. The truth is a person. It's the person of the, the second person in the Trinity. And it is through Jesus that I have been set apart and made holy. It's through Jesus that I have been given this mission. And that I'm supposed to be faithful. It's instantaneous and it's ongoing. And it's every day making the courageous decision to get up and to follow him instead of following myself and following my own plans, to lean on him instead of leaning on my own strength. And ultimately what Jesus is saying is, God, I'm going to ask something from you today. I'm going to ask that you would do through them what you did through me and that you would do it as big and as bold through them as you did it through me now that I'm leaving them and going back to be with you. What Jesus is actually doing is he's challenging his followers, this is me and you right now, to push back darkness. You see, the light of the world went into the world, into the dark places to shine God's light and to bring light into dark places. And when he called Christians in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know what? I want you to be like salt. Salt preserves meat and keeps it from dying. I want you, because you're the salt of the earth, I want you to be like salt, and I want you to make an impact in the world. You're the light of the world. I want you to go out, and I want you to make an impact, and I want you to go into dark places. And church, I don't even need to say this to you because you already know this. Salt does absolutely no good for anybody in the salt shaker. It's only when salt gets poured out into the world that salt starts to make an impact. And light makes no difference 
when it's surrounded by other light and totally consumed by other light, meaning it's not while we're in this service that matters. It's once we leave here and light going into dark places that the light of the world really starts to make an impact. That's why we use this language. It's on our website. It's everywhere around here. We as a church exist to push back darkness because that's what light does. And it can't do anything but push back darkness. The Son of God is making a bold request to his Father right now about you. I was thinking about this, and I was doing a little bit of looking online this week. There was a movie director who wanted to make this scene in a movie absolutely unmistakable. I'd give you the movie director's name, but it's foreign, and I can't even pronounce his first, let alone his last name. But the guy who made the movie, Jojo Rabbit, was struggling with trying to demonstrate what it was like to be a child growing up in Nazi Germany in the 1930s. And here's what he said. How do I describe for people what an elementary age child would have been like in the 1930s and how they would have viewed Adolf Hitler? So he decided, I know what I want to do. I want to use a song. I'm going to film a scene, but I need a song to drive it home. Here's the problem. The song is one of the biggest hits of all time by the biggest band that's ever existed. It's a song by the Beatles. And the director of the movie, Jojo Rabbit, decided to reach out to the Beatles and say, would you let me, listen to this request, would you let me use one of your biggest hits to demonstrate the relationship of a boy with Adolf Hitler? And of course, people just thought he was crazy when they asked him, when they continued to be asked, he reached out to the record label again and again. He showed them the entire movie and said, this song is going to be the centerpiece of the movie. Would you allow me to use this song to demonstrate Jojo's rabbit, uh, Jojo Rabbit's um, relationship with Adolf Hitler and heard nothing back from the movie theater and, or from the record studio. And so he did the unthinkable. He reached out to all of the living or the families of the Beatles, Paul McCartney. And he reached out to Yoko Ono. He reached out to Olivia Harrison and Ringo Starr and said, would you give me the permission at the beginning of this movie to use the song, I Want to Hold Your Hands, to describe JoJo's relationship with Adolf Hitler after attempt after attempt or after attempt. Finally, the Beatles all universally agreed. Yeah, we'll let you use the song in German to describe this relationship between a boy and Adolf Hitler because we're not sure we can help people understand it any other way. And I really think to myself, this guy was crazy because when the film was being edited, they still didn't have the permission and the studio started asking the director, what's plan B here if the Beatles don't give you permission? And he said, I have no plan B. If we don't get this song, the movie's gonna flop. I want you to think about this for just a second now. The Son of God is sitting at the right hand of the Father. By the way, in the throne room, the right hand is the seat of power. The right hand is the seat of privilege. The right hand is the seat of, 
the, the ability to ask a favor from the king that nobody else can ask. And right now, the Son of God is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's making a bold request for you. He's saying, Father, would you make my people faithful? God, I left them here on this earth, and they're surrounded by darkness and by evil. God, would you make them effective? And it may feel like a burden, so God, would you give them joy in the midst of this wicked world that they're living in? God, more than anything else, would you make them so different that when people see them, they say, I don't know if this guy's crazy, I don't know if she's an idiot, or maybe they just know something that I don't know. But whatever it is, I want to know more. And the Son of God is praying to his Father right now for you. And church, now it's time for you to pray. And I mean to get real with God prayer. Maybe somebody doesn't have that kind of intimate relationship with the Father. Maybe you've never been radically changed by the blood of Jesus. Maybe what you need to do is to pray the most important prayer a human being will ever pray, a prayer of humility where you fall down physically, literally on your knees, or spiritually just cry out a prayer of desperation and say, Father, forgive me. God, I can't be good enough to work my way into heaven on my own. I need you to touch my soul right now, and I need you to change me for the first time. And I promise you, if you make that prayer, and if it's real and sincere, God in heaven hears it, and he honors it for the rest of us. We need to say this week when it gets hard, and we believe that it's going to get hard this week, I'm going to look to the truth. I'm going to look to the world or the word, and I'm going to allow him to speak into my circumstances, and I'm not going to follow my own desires, my own heart. I'm not even going to lean on my own strength. I'm going to lean on Jesus this week when life gets difficult. That's a prayer that all of us can pray. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.